Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and I'm here today at National Psoriasis Foundation's Cure Symposium to speak with Dr. Emmanuel Mavarakis, who is an associate professor and board-certified dermatologist and physician investigator in the departments of dermatology and medical microbiology and immunology at the University of California, Davis. He is also a PKS recipient and an elected fellow of the California Academy of Sciences. Dr. Mavarakis leads a team of research scientists focused on characterizing autoreactive T-cell responses. Together with his collaborator, Carlito Labria, he has been creating a site-specific map of the human glycome. We're excited to hear Dr. Mavarakis talk about his altered glycan theory of autoimmunity and how glycan biomarkers will someday be used for the diagnosis and treatment of diseases such as cancer, autoimmune diseases, and immune-mediated aging. Welcome, Dr. Mavarakis. Thank you for being here with us on SoundBites today. To help provide some background information for our listeners, could you please define what the human glycome is? The glycome is a topic that might be a little bit foreign to most people. Most people have heard of the genome with the Genome Project. Uh, Many people have heard of the proteome and even the lipidome. But the glycome is something that is not as well studied as those other uh, components. Basically, we're all made up of different molecules. We're made up of uh, DNA or RNA, nucleic acids. We're made up of proteins, lipids. And the fourth type of molecule that we're made up of is called sugars. Usually when I say that, people are thinking of table sugar, you know, glucose, sucrose, but these are actually really complex sugar molecules that form tree-like structures and they modify the different components of our body, like uh, the proteome, they modify proteins, they modify lipids. Uh, If you think about it, when the genome project first started, we didn't have a lot of tools to study the the genetics of people. It took us over 10 years to sequence the genome, and now we could sequence the genome in basically two days. And this is because there's been a lot of technological advancements in those fields. The glycome is basically at the age Uh, where the genome was when we first started the genome project. So hopefully in the next couple of years, you're going to hear a lot about uh, glycomics, glycoscience, glycobiology, glycoimmunology, and glycan biomarkers of disease. And that's because we're developing the technology now to really characterize the glycans. That's fascinating stuff. And I have to admit, I thought it was table sugar also. (laughs) So why did you choose to explore the human glycome, and what is the significance to the study of immune-mediated diseases such as psoriatic disease? I'm a physician, and I was seeing a patient one day, and I I was a little bit curious because my patient said that he was a um, professor in chemistry. So I looked him up after to see what kind of research he was doing, and I found that he was uh, one of the world's premier analytical glycan chemists. So this means that he searches for the structures of the glycans. He doesn't necessarily uh, synthesize the glycans. 
I thought that this was very fascinating. Not a lot of work had been done in the immune system. So I called him up afterwards and I, and I said, you know, we should really work on this together because my lab is uh, very good in big data analytics and computational programming. And his lab is very good at uh, developing the technology to characterize the glycan structures. Um, he's a very interesting person. Since then, we've been doing this together. Well, let's talk a little bit about unique glycan alterations. How do glycans impact the behavior of proteins, and why is it important to crack the sugar code? Uh, so when we say cracking the sugar code, that we're trying to map out all glycosylation sites across the entire uh, human body, not only the sites, but the structures that occur at each of those sites. And you look at a cell surface, you would see that there's this uh, lipid bilayer, uh, a fluid motion of lipids on the cell surface. And then there's a bunch of proteins that are embedded into that bilayer. And if some of those proteins are going to have a little few sugars coming off the top of them. But if you're actually uh, able to see a cell with your naked eye, what you would see is that the entire surface of the cell is covered with a bunch of fuzz. And that fuzz are the glycans. So these are complex tree-like structures that are projecting out of the cell surface. Uh, in other words, everything else is like the dirt that supports these glycan structures. They dictate the function of the cell and dictate the function of the protein. So you could have one protein, and this protein will have a certain function. And then you could have uh, that same protein, but with different glycans on it, different sugar structures on it, then it'll have a totally different function. The cell might want to go to the liver uh, with a certain set of glycans on its surface, or it might want to go to the skin, depending on the type of uh, sugars that are modifying certain proteins on its cell surface. Glycans also modify lipids as well. It, it's a pretty interesting field because... When we talk about the proteome, you know, everything's template-driven. So we have the DNA that your mom and your dad gave you as the template, and then RNA is made from the DNA template, and then proteins are made from the RNA template, and those proteins are modified by glycans, which have no template for their synthesis. So there's a lot of biological and environmental factors that will dictate what type of sugar molecule is modifying those proteins and those lipids, such that you're going to have many different glycovariants of the same protein. And those different glycovariants are going to have different functions. If you think about this uh, in the setting of inflammation, the body is going to release different proteins into the bloodstream. Uh, those are going to be released by the liver or inflammatory immune cells. And those uh, proteins are going to be coated with glycans. And those glycans are going to help us identify what was the origin of those proteins. Like, did they come from an inflammatory cell? Did they come from a malignant cell? Because the balance of those sugars are going to look different depending on what cell they originated from. And by using this, uh, we can help identify what type of problem the patient has. Basically, the proteome and the genome predicts your phenotype, but your glycome is your actual phenotype. Uh, I could use PSA for an example. Many people know prostate-specific antigen. Uh, once you're an older man, you have a really high chance of getting prostate cancer. You might go to your doctor and ask for a PSA check, or the doctor might just want to order this PSA check. 
Um, let's say it comes back high on you. Well, it could be high because you uh, just went for a long bike ride and you had a lot of pressure on your prostate. It could be high because your prostate had some trauma or some reason that made your prostate release some prostate-specific antigen into the blood. Now, PSA is a glycoprotein, meaning that it will have different glycovariants. And if it's coming from a cancer cell, then in theory, it should actually have a glycan signature that would, uh, that would tell us that it's actually not from infection or not from trauma, that this is actually from a cancer. And then that would make the test much more specific than rather than just getting a PSA level and not knowing the cause of that. Uh, this is the same for autoimmunity. You're going to have certain glycan signatures that are uh, specific for different autoimmune diseases such that each autoimmune disease in theory should have a different glycan signature and also a single autoimmune disease could actually be subdivided based upon the glycosylations depending on the severity of that autoimmune disease or the other associated diseases that go along with it. So you mentioned a coating. What is a sugar glycan coat? Uh, We mentioned this briefly. If you're able to see a cell with your naked eye, what you would see is this really fuzzy ball. And the fuzz on that uh, cell surface are the glycans. The technical name for this glycan coat is called the glycocalyx. It's what comes into contact when two cells come together, they're going to sense each other's glycans. And that's one way a cell is going to be able to tell if another cell is self or non-self. If your immune cell, one of your main tasks might be to see if another cell is self or if another cell is non-self, meaning like a bacteria or a virally infected cell or something like that. Uh, When it's non-self, you want to mount an immune response to it. And when it's self, you want to ignore it. Uh, the way a cell does this, like a dendritic cell or a macrophage or a monocyte, the way it does is it integrates all those signals that it's receiving from sensing those glycans. We have special receptors on our cells called lectins, and lectins specifically bind to glycans. If you're a bacteria, you have different glycans than if you're a, a normal human cell. And if you're a virus, you might try to hide by expressing lots of bland glycans on your surface. Um, Probably cancer cells, too, avoid the immune system in this fashion. The the other thing is that our immune cells uh, recognize uh, if a tissue is coated with uh, antibody by looking for the sugar components of that antibody. So the glycans not only coat cells in the form of a glycocalyx, they could also coat different tissues, and, and, and these types of interactions are very important for um, biological homeostasis. I gave examples of the immune system, but in basically every single biological process, the glycans are going to be playing a dominant role. And so how are glycans linked to chronic inflammation and the development of concurrent health conditions such as heart disease or cancer? Uh, So I mentioned that a little bit uh, where the component of the the immune system that is used to uh, recognize self from non-self are these molecules that sense the glycans. If you have a disease uh, like a bacterial infection, what's going to be recognized are those sugars on the bacteria, and those are going to be recognized as foreign. If those bacteria are bound by antibodies, 
then the component of the antibody that's going to be recognized by the immune system is going to be the glycosylated component of the antibody. Uh, people have heard of antibodies. Um, they're the component of our, our immune system that's uh, floating in our bloodstream that bind and recognize foreign antigens. Uh, in the setting of autoimmunity, these uh, antibodies are going to bind and recognize parts of our own body. So they're going to get um, this self-non-self recognition uh, mixed up. And so instead of binding viruses or bacteria, they're going to bind components of our own body. Uh, the specificity of the antibody is dictated by uh, a region called an antigen recognition domain of the antibody. Uh, it's part of a certain fragment of the antibody. The component of the antibody that's going to be recognized by the immune system is a constant region called an FC domain of the antibody. Anyways, long story short is that the FC region has a certain type of sugar on it, and that sugar is going to dictate if the antibody is inflammatory, anti-inflammatory, um, and if it's recognized by other components of the immune cell, if it's going to be able to uh, fix other molecules and mount an inflammatory response, that's all going to be dictated by the glycosylated portion of the antibody. Uh, so basically, your effector function of the immune system is dictated by the glycosylation. The glycans are not only going dict to dictate how the antibody functions, but they're also going to dictate how the cells function. And I mentioned before that a certain type of glycan might uh, home your immune cells to the skin. Another glycan might home it to another organ. And this is also a way by which glycans uh, contribute to chronic inflammation. Given such research, is it possible new biomarkers for immunological diseases will be identified? Yeah. So this is the most uh, exciting area, I think, is that once we develop a site-specific map of the human glycome, I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is one of the main components of our research is to actually develop a site-specific map of the human glycome, meaning that we want to know where all the glycosylation sites are and every single glycan that occur at those glycosylation sites and develop a way to quickly monitor for these. Um, then that's going to revolutionize biomarker research and discovery. Right now, some people might look at uh, proteins as biomarkers of a certain disease or other um, maybe imaging as a biomarker of a certain disease. If you think about proteins, if you have a certain protein that's going to be a biomarker of a disease, if you could subdivide that protein into like 20 different fractions depending on its site-specific glycosylation, then that's just going to increase the sensitivity and specificity of that test uh, many, many, many fold. And it also brings in the possibility where we could look for low abundance proteins that normally we wouldn't notice in uh, normal biomarker research. And by looking at the types of glycans that are occurring on those low abundance proteins, then we could, they, we could now incorporate those into our models that could predict uh, disease. Uh, there's so many different types of models that we could use um, glycans for. We could use them as classifiers to identify if a patient has a specific disease, so like diagnostic classifiers. We could use them to predict who will develop a disease in the future, um, so your disease risk. 
We could use them to predict if you're going to respond to therapy. Uh, we could use them as a means to see how severe your disease is, so disease severity um, biomarkers. Uh, it's a field that's just coming uh, of age, and I'm excited to be on the forefront of this. So where do you envision this research will lead? Is it possible you can unlock new therapeutic pathways? Well, I think that glycans are ultimately responsible for many forms of autoimmunity, if not all forms of autoimmunity. They definitely play a role in all human diseases. Altering them to reverse these disease processes will be a little bit difficult, but that's one possibility is that we could learn uh, how to alter our glycans. And we're doing a lot of research now to see how that uh, can be done. We're using different types of supplements to see if that changes your glycans on your immune cells and on your uh, immune effector molecules. But I also think that the next generation of biologic therapeutics are going to incorporate these glycans into them. Uh, for example, if you have a biologic, which is a protein molecule that you use for therapy, such as an antibody, and you want this biologic medication to delete a certain cell type, well, it's only going to be able to delete a certain cell type if it has the right glycan on it. And not only that, you can alter the glycan to really enhance its effector function to really make it very efficient at deleting other cells. Um, so if you had, if you knew what type of cell was causing autoimmunity, you made an antibody to that cell type, and then you put the right glycosylation on that antibody, it's going to become very effective. Um, so those are two ways I think that we're going to be able to use this knowledge for new therapeutics. But there's many other ways that uh, might be possible as well. And in closing, based on your research, what daily management or lifestyle tips would you like to pass along to people who have psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis? You should be very cognizant of the types of food you're eating um, and also with your weight because, you you know, biologics and, and the new medications that are coming online to treat psoriasis are great, but there's a lot of things that you could do as a patient to bring down that inflammatory response that's going on in your body. Uh, some people believe that this global inflammation is affecting other things like uh, your risk for heart disease and stroke, but the most important thing that you could do as a patient is you can modify your own risk factors. And by doing this, your psoriasis can actually get better. For example, if you lose weight, then your psoriasis is going to get is going to get better. And uh, when you lose weight, that's also probably going to change your glycosylations. Uh, one interesting thing is the type of food we eat will, will absolutely alter our, our glycans in our body. There are certain types of glycans that we as humans have lost, but are still present in other organisms. For example, red meat has certain types of silations that our body just doesn't make anymore. We've deleted certain components in these pathways so that we cannot make the same glycan coat as, as other mammals do. So if we're eating the red meat, then those types of glycans are going to actually be incorporated into our own body because even though we don't have the ability to synthesize these glycans anymore, if they're present, we still have the ability to incorporate them into our body. 
Um, because our body's not used to seeing these foreign sugars, that would increase the amount of inflammation because our immune system will start reacting to them. That might lead to autoimmunity and cancer. Not to get things too complicated, basically, we need to be responsible for the things that we could do. Don't rely on medicine to answer all of your questions. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your knowledge with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.